Welcome to Our Jewish Roots with insightful Bible teaching from Israel by Dr. Jeffrey Seif. This week, we contrast two kings of Judah, a faithful father and his evil son, today on Kings and Kingdoms. We're so glad you've joined us today. I'm David Hart. I'm Kirsten Hart. Jeffrey Seif. So we're in the middle of the series and it's all about leadership in the Bible. You've been grading them and it hasn't been good news. We need a little bit of good news. Please, can one of the kings be good? Yeah. Look at, look at my fingers Please, teacher, please. please. <laughs> Listen, you lady, don't shoot the messenger. I only work here. The Bible gives them bad scores on the whole because things are deteriorating. The kingdom's going down the drain. As an instructor, I tend to be more of an upbeat and more of a gracious grader, but it's it's hard to do it on the whole. But we have a good one coming in short order. Well, You're going to be happy. The kingdom's gone now. Yes. We're down to little Judah. See, uh, yes. In fact, Judah would have gone to were it not for the individual who's the object of our attention at the outset. Good. I'm ready for a good grade. Yeah, God did a, a turnaround one, anyway. because this was a turnaround king. I like turnaround leaders. How about you? Good, yes. I think it's about a father and son today, correct? Mm-hmm. The son, not so good. Let's just right. do dad okay, now. Let's, we'll let's get, the, get, the we'll get to the first. kiddos later. <laughs> totally. Right now, let's go to the Kidron Valley in Jerusalem with Dr. Seif's teaching. I am surrounded by the memories of biblical noteworthies. I say that because just off to my right is the tomb of uh, Absalom. You might have recall that name. Just over my left shoulder is a tomb to Zechariah, Zechariah. You might recall that name. And if you're deep into the biblical woods, you might remember the sons of Hazir mentioned in Nehemiah and First Chronicles, one of 24 famous priestly families. Their tombs are just off to my immediate right. Very, very interesting place here at the base of the Mount of Olives. If you've been to uh, Jerusalem in the area adjacent to it on the Mount of Olives, you've noted that it's one big cemetery and a lot of rabbis and pious Jews are buried. And here, this is a place reserved for men of renown. And this is a great place to talk to the one who arguably is the best of the best of the best when it comes to the kings of Israel, save David himself. This person is a judge to be so important. Think of this, some of the kings of Judah are just given a few sentences or a paragraph. This one, three chapters here in 2 Kings. His name is Hezekiah, comes from the word chazak, which means strength, and he was going to need it. 
and he himself was uh, vested with responsibility to inculcate it into Judah, for he served at the helm of the community during troubling times. You can't see it from where the camera's pointed, but my peripheral vision is the city of David, and right around the bend for me, you might have heard of Hezekiah's tunnel. One of the things that Hezekiah did in preparation for enabling Judah to survive an invasion is he managed waterworks by constructing a tunnel to get to a water source, which is essential if you're going to have a siege. There's stones laying round about as well. He built up fortifications. But more than what he did materially, the Bible says there was something about him spiritually that, that gave him a kind of wisdom that wouldn't otherwise have been there. I already mentioned there's three chapters dedicated to the man's memory. I just want to look at how he's introduced. And so I'm looking at 2 Kings chapter 18, and the author here in verse 5 says, Baronoi Elohe Yisrael Batah, that is, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel. Isn't that a good testimony to say of someone that he, that he trusted the Lord? A lot of people don't. In verse 6, he goes on, he cleaved to the Lord. This is more than just kind of like an intellectual assent, as in trust. Yes, I think it'll work out the way the good book says. No, but there's something about him that cleaves to. That says something. I like that in a leader. How about you? He departed not from following him. You know, sometimes people get religion on the spur and it evaporates like morning dew. You know, when they're in trouble, they kind of, they, you know, they run to the altar, but in the, you know, in, in due time, those energies just dissipate. There's a kind of staying power with him. We're told that he didn't evaporate. Vayishmor mitzvotav, but that he kept God's commandments. Now, one of the reasons why I want to break this down specifically isn't simply to eulogize him. You know, I'm not some rabbi tasked with... The, there's something called panegyria in antiquity, that is, the way you speak of greats, of noteworthies, of royalty. Uh, the reason why I want to slow down and, and get into the particulars here is less about describing him, much as it is my wanting to lift up what are some of the characteristics of leaders that I am game to affirm personally. That is to say, I like this. More important than what I like, the Bible commends this. We're told as well as we read on through to the end of verse 6, he kept the commandments which the Lord God commanded Moses. This is before the printing press, by the way, where people can get books on the cheap and everyone can pick up a Gideon's Bible in a hotel room, never mind a bookstore, never mind Googling something and getting a text online. That, that he, before uh, those modern inventions, that he dwelt in proximity to the literature. The Torah beckoned kings to make a copy of the text, and so by virtue of their being involved in the manufacture, the hope was that that would contribute toward their abiding with it and having more of a familiarity with it. Not always the case, however. If you look at the, the, the biblical testimony, if we look at the kings of Judah and their religion, you couldn't trust it any further, you can throw it. Out of 28 kings, the only one that are noteworthy for any kind of piety, there's eight of them. 
And in this series, we only cover four. We don't have time to do it all. This man, however, comes with these sterling uh, affirmations. Now, I want to close the book to make a point. Uh, you know, I'm a Bible teacher and I'm, I'm opening up the Bible and going back, you know, you know, thousands of years. And certainly when we're looking at the book Kings, uh, we're going back, you know, to a bygone era. But I want to bring it forward and make a point, one you've heard me to say on a number of occasions as we've looked at the biblical testimony about kings and kingdoms. And what is that point principally? The simple point is that faithfulness to the Lord pays dividends. Over and over again, that's what the biblical chroniclers alight upon. This translates into success in life. By way of contradistinction, the lack thereof translates into failure, which is why when I look at kings and kingdoms, while I'm looking at generally, specifically what I'm looking at are issues associated with faithfulness to biblical vision. And I say that to you as you're looking for what leads, who leads, what ideas move forward, what personalities best advocate for those ideas. Uh, as you in a democracy weigh in and decide what you want to do, who you want to support, whether it's in government, in the broader sense of political government, who you want to attach yourself to in business, in the business of business, or even who you want to attach yourself to in the business of love, whether it's building a biological kingdom, whether it's building a business kingdom, whether it's considering the national kingdom uh, that we live in, our country. Let me encourage you with what the biblical authors encourage us. Put your energies and support behind that which advocates faithfulness to the biblical economy. Support faithful men. Support policies that reflect biblical vision. This, according to the authors of this, the Bible, this is a recipe for success in life. Conversely, throwing this behind the back translates into lack of success in life. There are individuals who ostensibly pay lip service to a biblical agenda, but it doesn't really inform what they're thinking and doing. What you want to do is look for people that are faithful to the biblical text. Call those faithful people your friends, and I believe you'll be better for so doing. in no uncertain terms, a worthless piece of humid wreckage. To whom am I referring? Well, a Bible character, the son of Judah's most famous king, Hezekiah, was a mess. His name was Manasseh. And my description of him and my opening statement pales in comparison to the way the Bible describes him. And here in this segment, I want to take a look at that passage. And I'm pleased to film this segment from here. I can't think of a better place. I'm coming to you from the Valley of Gehenna, also known as hell, interestingly. 
In fact, some New Testament texts you'll see where Jesus says hell, and you look at the bottom, there's an italicized letter, and it gives the word Gehenna, because it was in this place years ago that corpses were taken and incinerated. So it was a reminder of a place where, uh, where corpses would be taken and incinerated. That is hell. Beyond that, here was a place where child sacrifices were offered. And we'll see in short order how Manasseh actually offered his own son as a child sacrifice in, uh, in Judah. Horrible. And this is the place where it all happened. Well, this is a place that has a horrible memory attached to it. And I want to come to you from this place and tell a bad story. It's not that I'm game to tell bad stories. I know we have a lot of bad stories in our own personal narratives and people watch a, a religious TV for a Bible study to get some good news. But sometimes it's important to take a look at the bad in order to see the way through it to get that which is good. I mention that because I had a friend in medical school, he said they would take cadavers, bodies that died of disease processes, and, and they would take them and dissect them. It was a judge to be important to look how disease worked and to look at the effect that it had on the body. Well, I think that's true, and I think the biblical authors think that's true too. And why is that? Because they tell this man's story. Let's go take a look at the book. It's worth seeing. It's a tough story to tell, but it's worth hearing as we look at kings and kingdoms. You can see from the passage way behind me that the road to hell is indeed well-traveled. Of course, it's an analogy here, but unfortunately, it's very true. And it's doubly unfortunate that it was one of Judean kings who was particularly culpable in leading people to it. My, my strong and disdainful intro um, bears some biblical proof text for it, lest you think that I'm just brazen in my disregard for personalities of old. In chapter 21 of 2 Kings, therein, the literature is very clear. Manasseh is introduced, and we're told at the outset he reigned 55 years. It's 55 years of World War II, in effect. It's 55 years of horror. We're told in verse 2, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, uh, going after the various abominations of the nations, whom the Lord cast out before the eyes of the children of Israel. There were things that the Lord cast out, and he ran after those with a vengeance to reinstall them in Israel, in Judah. There's particulars noted. Uh, we're told here that he built altars to Baal. Pagan worship is instilled, as well as Asherah, the female counterpart to this pagan worship. Not only that, in verse 4, to add insult to the injury, we're told that he built pagan altars in the house of the Lord, in the Hekol, the temple, the Beit HaMikdash, the holy house. He took that which was dedicated to Jehovah and in effect dedicated it to the devil. That's what this author is saying. We're told as well, as evidence thereof in verse 6, that he made his son to pass through the fire. This harks back to 
uh, a pagan practice of child sacrifice. He did it, by the way, child sacrifices were done here in, in this valley, and here this man, we're told, a king of Judah, mind you, is proactive in all of that. Not only that, this Manasseh, his father Hezekiah, was the best kitty in the Judean lit litter, a very righteous king. And his son, to be so deplorable, it, it, it's just bombastic. We're told as well that he practiced soothsaying. He's something of a fortune teller. Absolutely unacceptable. If you look in verse 16 of the chapter, we're told that he shed innocent blood very much till he filled Jerusalem from one end to another. In another life, I've served as a police academy director and instructor, and I would teach professionalism and ethics. I teach a course in the U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights, and I always made a number of points with the mind to inculcate the imperative that those that have power be virtuous, just, ethical, fair, and good. This man was anything but that. He was unjust, guilty of murder, filling Jerusalem with blood from one end to the other. When I think of that, there are leaders that are like that. They go after policies that lend themselves to murder. It's horrible, completely unacceptable. The net result, we're told uh, in verse 12, that uh, God is going to bring evil upon Jerusalem. When you have leaders like that, bad leaders, uh, bad things happen as a result of it. We want to go after people that reflect biblical vision, value, and virtue. Vote for them. Get behind them. Put them in your house. Put them in the White House. Put them in Congress. That's what we want. And if we don't get it, if we get this, I see a bad moon rising. Our Creator chose certain places on the planet to reveal Himself and His message of redemption to us. Mount Sinai, Moriah, Olives, the Mount of Beatitudes, as well as various seas, rivers, and deserts, these were the places. Some are now only ruins, yet they continue to tell of the Lord's faithfulness and love. These sacred backdrops have been beautifully captured in our resource this week the book, Heaven and Earth, Landmarks of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Our producer and director, Ken Berg, has assembled some of his favorite photographs taken during his four decades of travel through the lands of the Bible. Contact us and ask for the book, Heaven and Earth. If you're thinking about visiting the Holy Land, come on a Zola tour, where the scriptures come to life as you get teaching from a messianic perspective. Our spring tour goes to Israel and Petra. In the fall, you can add a cruise of Greece and Ephesus. Come to Israel. See the Jewish roots of your faith. Call us at 1-800-WONDERS or click on the levitt.com slash tour info. We have so many people that ask us, what is your favorite thing about taking a trip to Israel? And it's really hard to say, but I will say this, we love going to Tiberias. On the Sea of Galilee on the Jesus boat is life-changing. Also being baptized in the Jordan. Bring your family, bring your friends, bring your church, bring your pastor. 
and it's a life-changing event for them. We would love for you to join us. You can find all the information on levitt.com. Also, we just want to say thank you so much for your financial support that helps us do what we do around the world every week. Thank you. Know, you. We have many creative ways. This is wonderful. Um, the head of our ministry, Mark Levitt, has creative ways that you can give finances to this ministry. So it's not just all dollars. We're, if, if your heart is Israel, if your heart if, is behind our Jewish roots, get in touch with us, levitt.com, yes. and we'll help facilitate your support of this ministry. Jeff has been talking about a good king, Hezekiah. The benchmark, I think, is King David, a good name. Your name is David, yes. who was one of the first praise and worship leaders. He wrote the Psalms, and Sarah Lieberman is a worship leader in Israel, and she's going to teach us Hebrew words of worship. Here's Sarah now. Shalom, chaverim. Welcome back to our series on exploring the words of worship in Hebrew. You see, in English, we primarily have only two words, worship and praise. But in the Hebrew language, there are so many more words that explore what it is to worship God. Now, today's word is the word la'avod. In fact, the first time the word worship is mentioned in the Bible, it uses this word in Hebrew, la'avod. The word means work. It comes from the same root that we use to describe our jobs, our daily work that we do as our profession. Do you know where it's found? It's found in that moment where Abraham is going to take Isaac up to Mount Moriah. He says to the boy, let us go up and worship or work as unto the Lord. I find that incredible and inspiring because that act of surrender, that act of worship that Abraham knows he's going to do with Isaac, he uses that word work. It suggests to me that we can go about our daily lives, our work, our tasks, everything that we are doing, and we can go about it with the attitude of worshiping God. What would our lives look like if everything we did, we did from that place in our heart to say, I am doing this as a work unto the Lord, as a act of worship and service unto God. Imagine going through your life and continually being aware of the presence of the Lord and wanting to give Him something in everything that you do. This is this word of worship, La Avod et Adonai. still waters leading me onward, a place of peace and quiet rest. I call out your name, you hear my voice, I hear you call me, my chosen, hold a place for me, there beside your throne.
we love bringing you music by Marty Getz. We love having him on this program. Also, we hope you're enjoying our Hebrew lessons that we bring you each week from Sarah Lieberman. Right now, I think you have a report card here. What's going on today? Well, I'm ready. I'm ready for this grade. Professor Seif is at it again. I hope I'll make you happier. Uh, <laughs> Hezekiah, he has his own tunnel. Yes, he's yes. got to get a good grade. Okay, then only because of you, Thank we'll you. give him a B. How's uh, that? That's what I was. I was going to say a B. Oh, there it's you not go. Bad. You know, I mean, I like him. Okay. He's noteworthy in the literature for a variety of reasons. Uh, he was faithful unto the Lord. His weakness that's noted in the text is that he showed off his treasury to enemy envoys who came, and that was going to come back to haunt him. Which was prideful. Look it was what prideful I have. of him, oh, and showing off your again. money is not a good thing. No. Now, we're not going to have that problem at, at uh, our Jewish roots, I should say. We're not working with deep pockets and big treasuries. We get it a dime at a time. And that said, I want to encourage you, please help us to fill the coffers. We don't store it up from generation to generation. We're on nationally syndicated television. We don't own it. We rent it, and it's due every month. And if you'd help us, if you think this is good news, looking at it all through the eyes of the Jews, please put some money in there, and I know God will bless you for so doing. Hezekiah was a blessing man. He served the Lord and saw miracles in his life, and I think we can see miracles on our own as well. Unfortunately, his son Manasseh was a worthless piece of human wreckage, bad to the bone. He's the worst kitty in this litter, to my way of thinking. Here's my thought. You and I are dads, and I think we both have great sons. My son was in the army. Another son lived in Jerusalem for three years. You have great sons. Hezekiah, That's he had so to deal sad. with his son, who was evil. Well, you know, uh, in Jewish tradition, it says that, that he turned it around later in life. But, uh, you know, the author of Hebrews speaks about some being sawn in two. It was Manasseh who murdered Isaiah the prophet, one of the uh, greats. Wow. I mean, literally, he uh, saw, right? I mean, it's just horrible. Yeah, you know, these kings horrible. can really be bad to the bone. He gets an F minus. I'm not pleased. You know, like politicians today, sometimes uh, uh, when you give someone power, things flower in conjunction with that. Napoleon said, you find out the measure of a man when you give him some rank, uh, the general. Well, uh, we see the measure of this man. He wasn't very good. We should pray for our politicians. Pray for them and pray that pride will not rise up. That's, that's my personal takeaway. Yes, and speaking of taking away, it's time to go away. And speaking of prayer as you go, Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Join us right now for additional content that is only available on our social media sites, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Visit our website, levitt.com, for the current and past programs, the television schedule, tour information, and our free monthly newsletter, which is full of insightful articles and news commentary. View it online, or we can ship it directly to your mailbox every month. Also on our website is the online store. There, you can order this week's resource, or you can always give us a call at 1-800-WONDERS. Your donations to Our Jewish Roots Help us to support these organizations as they bless Israel. Please remember we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you.
This has been a paid program brought to you by Zola Levitt Ministry.